Chapter 55 of On a Donkey's Hurricane Deck. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 55 All Down a Toboggan Slide by Mac Aroni how he trots along on his mule i declare the beast's ears are not so long as his master's the hunchback of notre dame the supreme moment of my life had a rove must have come on skates i had crossed the broad continent at last all but a little toboggan slide of one hundred and fifty miles more or less and that would be easy sailing. I felt boastful now. When Pod wasn't occupied in prodding me over the pass, he was quoting Hannibal crossing the Alps and other heroic adventures, imagining his little exploit of the same class. Professor, old boy, just bear in mind that Hobo Hannibal was not so fortunate as to have five gullible jackasses to help him the storm had abated as i stood waist-deep in snow while the men folks were trying to waken the sleepers of an uninhabited shanty i looked back where we donks sang one more mountain to cross for the last time and i gave three brays with a gusto Standing in snow or water taxes my patience. Coxie brayed to the men to get a move on, but Skates and I amused ourselves by sucking icicles hanging from our bangs. Pod's courageous valet received first orders. He rode an avalanche bareback down the mountain and went through the door without knocking until he hit the other side of the shanty. Don't shoot, for heaven's sake, folks, he yelled. No answer. Beg thousand pardons, friends, but couldn't stop, he added. No answer. Then he picked himself up and called. Ain't nobody living here? Speak up, I won't hurt you. No answer. The next thing that boy did was to find the lantern he had lost in the snow slide and explore the place. The cabin's empty, he called presently. Any stove and fuel, Pod asked. Yep, answered Coonskin, and a hay tick, and spook, scat you, and a glob-bested cat, he added. Folks must have left just before the storm. Then to the dog he called, You're done. Sick em, cats! And Don sicked. My elated master next ordered Skates to slide down that chute to the cabin, and she shooted. He hinted that Coxie and I would follow, but I wasn't so sure. Judging from Coonskin's experiment, it looked too swift for my blood. But when I witnessed Skates safely descend, and heard Coxie's whisper, Come on, Mac, show your nerve. I was bound to stay with it and follow suit. We donks no sooner reached the door 
than Pod began to unpack us. It was no go. Knots and buckles, everything was frozen stiff. My saddle felt glued to my back. We must fire up and thaw them out, said Pod, and he led us indoors. Coonskin converted some shelves into kindling, and soon the little stove was roaring like a coke oven. When we began to thaw one by one, the ropes and straps were unhitched or cut until we were all relieved of our burdens and part of our avoirdupois. Although the men had tramped almost all the way from Carson in order to spare us, our wrenching and twisting and climbing the slippery summits had loosened our saddles, which rubbed into our shoulders until we were badly galled. Our proud flesh had frozen to the icy blankets, and when Pod, while near the stove, saw our conditions, great tears melted in his eyes, and he rubbed my frosted nose, I suppose, expecting me to purr. We got thawed out by three in the morning. That small apartment depicted a busy scene. We donks were so cramped that we couldn't turn if we had tried. While Coonskin dried the bedding, the prof found in the luggage a box of tar and gave us a good plastering. Then he put us in the other room. It was a two-room house and fed us the hay tick and a wooden soap box for dessert and bade us good night. I heard Coonskin mention something about supper, but Pod told him all the grub was cached in the snow over the summit and that Damfino carried the keys. There was, however, a possible chance of getting a bite later if he would go back for the supplies. Soon after, I heard both men snoring. As I recall the circumstance, I don't see how we three donks stood it, cramped up in that small room, eight long hours before the men got up. First we ate the hay tick. The hay went fast enough, but it took time to chew the tick. Then we gnawed soap-boxed until dawn. The latter was savory, but rather tough, and had to be eaten slowly on account of the bones, nails, Pod called them, which would get into our teeth. Coxie happened to swallow one, and said he wouldn't lie down for a week for fear of puncturing himself. Every time one of us gnawed on the box, Don barked, taking it to be mice. He lay under Coxie with one eye open, ready to vacate at a second's warning. For that donk pretended he was going to lie down every moment. We breathed the air of that cell ten times over and had begun on the eleventh course when the door opened. What a magnificent pair of spectacles was open to our eyes. The mountains on both sides of the canyon looked like great billows of a frozen sea, while the fir trees sticking out of the snow resembled the spars of sunken wrecks with their torn sails frozen to the yardarms. Coonskin was up first. While dressing, he happened to glance out of the window in his telltale exclamation caused Pod to leap out of bed. Well, in the name of balm, if there ain't Domfino, he laughed. She's a nervy dame, observed the youth with satisfaction. 
She knows the other donks are here all right. Curiosity led me to stick my head out of the door, and there, knee-deep in snow, stood the old girl, patiently waiting for an invite to our house party. Skates had to be taken up to the pilot down the half-starved, half-frozen, timid refuge. Domfino slipped on the way but collected herself, and the girls whispered something to each other, which I could not catch, and laughed. I suppose it was a joke. So I got off an old one to Coxie, and he brayed with merriment. Then I told it to Pod, and he gave it to Coonskin, who snorted like a colt over a horse chestnut. As soon as Domfino was unloaded, the men got breakfast. The dishes washed and our galls redressed with tar and cotton wool. Our shoulders were padded for the saddles and we were packed for the journey. Two o'clock swung around before we got up that toboggan slide. Once there, we stopped for wind, then began to plow snow toward Placerville. It was a beautiful day, but the glare of the sun on the snow made us shed tears. Not a sound jarred the air, except the swish-swash of our pedals hewing away the snow, or an occasional assening sneeze or canine cough the result of a night's exposure at the steep and narrow turn where the stage driver nearly spilled horace greeley trying to take him through on pony express time i became interested and the spot where sawlog johnson was crushed to death by a giant tree falling on his shadow riveted my attention for some time i thought it a good place to rest the trees were bent by the heavy snow and ice and i knew lightning never struck twice in the same spot we reached hart's shingle camp long after dark pod and i were cordially and received and entertained when about to resume travel next morning the drove of cattle which we were urged to wait for passed us. They had crossed the summit in quick time, of course, after we donks had broken the trail. Now only small patches of snow dotted the roadside, and we had a muddy trail down to the bridge house. The keeper gave Pod a round reception and charged him an all-round sum. We left early next morning. The scenery on that mountain trail was a thing to outlast a donkey's memory. One sheer cliff rising a thousand feet marks the site of a bold exploit. It is said that once upon a time, Snowshoe Thompson, while out hunting above this cliff, was chased by a grizzly and only escaped by leaping off the precipice and striking the frozen river on his snowshoes the momentum taking him down to Sacramento, 70 miles away. On that cliff was afterwards found a grizzly of 1,220 pounds dead weight with a hunting knife in his heart. It was the coroner's verdict that the bear was so astonished at the fearless hunter's brave act that he committed suicide with the knife the hunter dropped in his hurry. Although it was near to November, 
The foliage of the trees was barely colored. The climate of California charmed me. We were making fast time down grade, in spite of our jaded condition, and we did not tarry for lunch. When Placerville hove in sight, I was a most tickled donk. Just one minute after dark we ambled into town and were escorted to the famous spot where Horace Greeley first stepped on California soil. End of chapter 55 Recorded by Mary